I appreciate the desire of the soundtrack from this movie to appeal to the widest possible audience. That's that's good. You're appealing to kids and families. You don't want to offend anyone, but man, I find that grating. And on that pleasant <laughs> note, hello everyone. I'm Robert Winfrey, and this is the Radlichen Broadcasting Network Movie Review Club Group Loose Affiliation. Bunch of guys who get together over the internet and. You know, at least none of us are the FBI. I can promise you that. All right. And we're going to be reviewing tonight Hotel Transylvania 2. Because Adam Sandler just has to release more than one movie a year to keep up with his Ponzi schemes. Uh, this one, not as bad. Sandler's voice acting is much less uh, grating, flat, non-existent as opposed to his physical acting. So that's a plus. But you're with me. As always, almost always, we're going to be splitting that up a little bit for a variety. We've done it a few times because Mark and I just yakking to each other the whole time is, you know, variety's good. So, Mark, it's, we took a month off. Uh, how you doing? You feeling good? You refreshed? You ready to tackle this animated? Nah, I can't even call it a catastrophe. It's just a, it's just a movie. You ready to do this? I've, I've missed you, Mr. Winfrey. I'm, I, I do, of all the podcasts that I do, um, some of them I don't do anymore, uh, I have missed doing this one. Um, I, I enjoy the contemporariness of reviewing movies that are in theaters now as opposed to what I do with Sean. Uh, but mostly I, I, I just miss the laughter. No, I, um, no I, I do. I enjoy talking movies with you. You annoy me the least. So. Yay! <laughs> I knew that plaque uh, I bought was worth it. <laughs> Robert Winfrey, Least Annoying 2015. Yep. <laughs> so uh, I've been looking forward to this. I mean, not that this is the most, you know, meatiest of movies to bite into, but uh, I have some stuff to say. I have some thoughts to share. Uh, first thing I, I want to – on my wife's agenda, she wanted me to talk about how my kids handled this movie, and I will get into that in, in as far as my overall opinion of the movie because it, it does weigh in there. But I, I want to talk about this first. Roger Barr from iMockery was on the latest episode of Movie Fights. And he one of, the, one of the questions in Movie Fights was, pitch Pacific Rim 2. Now, don't, no, hang on a second. Don't jump up and start screaming. Um, just let, let me get this out. So all three combatants in Movie Fights were pitching their Pacific Rim 2 uh, plot. And Roger Barr of iMockery on Twitter made the suggestion that we don't want lots of plot or subplots in a movie about monsters versus robots. Just put more monsters versus robots. Take out all the stuff about the neural bridge and uh, mind melding that goes on. Take out all, take out all this stuff that we, none of, nobody cares about and just put in more monsters versus robots. And I thought, this is why we can't have nice things. Uh, that because, would be while I, because while I, you know, do enjoy a nice monster versus uh, robot movie, if you don't throw in there the, the things that, you know, that, that make a movie good, you know, characterization, uh, <laughs> you have you you have to do more than just little monsters at things, and it, what what kills me is that the same people that piss and moan about. Oh, you're 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 throwing too much stuff into the Hobbit. You're throwing too much stuff into Pacific Rim. Just give us the action. Are the same people 
I feel like, who complained about Jurassic Park, or rather Jurassic World, you know, the same people that complain about Michael Bay movies that basically say, this is why we can't have nice things. It's, you know, it's, uh, you're just throwing a bunch, you're just throwing an action demo reel up on there, and you're not giving us the elements of what make a good movie. And, and here's the thing. You can't have it both ways. You can't have uh, a schlock fest and, you know, a truly great movie at the same time. It's one or the other. You know what I mean? And so, what, you know, if you go ahead and listen to that movie fight when you're done here and listen to Roger Bar pitch this thing, I just I wanted to jump through the screen and, and strangle him, and I'm pretty sure so did the producer. Yeah, that's that's an asinine point of view to have if you're that if you're that person and all you do is complain about Michael Bay or the Hobbit having you know a billion things in it, you can't complain about Pacific Rim and say we want more monsters and robots. Come on, man. It, it, I mean, look, if you are of the opinion that the Transformers movies or Michael Bay. Eight times out of ten, because I've seen a couple of Michael Bay movies that I enjoy. God forgive me. <laughs> and, hey, just being honest. And if you think that's fine, then okay, your perspective can be, we need more robots and monsters in Pacific Rim too. If you're complaining about Michael Bay, you don't get to do that because it's not accurate. You're now just, like, you're now an annoying malcontent who just wants to complain at the world. And shame on you for that. Now, dare I suggest that your purpose in bringing that up was because this movie has very little in the way of plot and is simply a series of gags? Um, Well, maybe. Um, It was mostly because I have nowhere else to deposit this information. Uh. (laughs) Can't necessarily bring it up a long road to ruin, and I have no other place to discuss it, so this is as good a place as any. But yeah, hotel transformation... Hotel Transylvania 2, I thought, had a solid plot. Um, I thought it they handled some fairly serious subjects in a comical way, in a, in a way that uh, the kid, we wouldn't lose the kids in the audience. But I, I said this to my wife. I said, I only have two requests of my children's fair, that it not be insipid and that it not be just a long string of sight gags and gross-out humor. As long as it's not those two things, as long as it's, you know, I mean, by, by, by no definition was this thing inside out, okay? This was by, by no means a smart movie. But I thought, but I did not think it was insipid. Uh, I did laugh many times throughout the movie. My children enjoyed it. The, uh, we were in a full movie theater at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday in Tampa, and uh, the kids and the adults were all laughing through this thing and having a good time. So I think by any measure, the film was, uh, on that level, it was successful. Um, but no, it, it, it also, it's not King Lear either, nor was it meant to be. No, it's, kids' movies are one of these things where every time I sit down to try and critique them, I have to remind myself of target audience, Making le- you know, making a legitimate request of the movie because there's plenty of times when things I would gripe about in other movies are not fair to gripe about in a kids movie. It's again, it's just not fair. Just, I have kind of the same thing with comedy because comedy is so deeply personal and subjective that the fact that again, 
my hatred of Ben Stiller and his work is very, very strong and very well known to people who know me, or in many cases, people who listen to these shows. But he has a substantial following, and I can't fault people for finding humor with him. I just uh, fault you for supporting him and for his continued existence, and my responses here are not rational in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Hey, look, but I, don't fault yeah. people, I, don't, I don't fault people for finding Dick Caught in a zipper humor funny. It's just not my thing, and I won't go see it. Yeah, and again, I'll be here for the rest of the show just ranting on Ben Stiller and how he is terrible, and I don't want to do that. That's not why we're all here, and it's not healthy. It's just not – my fixation is not healthy. I moved past a lot of it, but I just hate so, it so much. Anyway, so, uh, the we plot here – we Hang on. We brought a one-year-old and a four-year-old to this thing, and the one-year-old – and it captured both their – I mean, it, I would say – well, yeah, the one-year-old was actually more interested in this than the four-year-old. But I would tell you that by the time we got to about the 75 to 80-minute mark, you know, my kids were like, all right, I got to get up and move around. I, you know, it's a lot, it was a lot to ask. <laughs> um, but, I, but like I said, I, I've been with my daughter to see movies like The Nut Job and, uh, and some of these, even like Big Hero 6. And I would say, other than Inside Out... Um, or anything that involves music, for the log, for the for the most part, um, they they were into it. They this thing moved along at a nice enough pace, at a, at a fast enough pace that it kept their interest. And the story I thought was simple enough that that they could get it. Even the one year old could at least follow, you know, what was happening from one bit to the next. And so, you know. At the end, and then I'll shut up. At the at, let me just say this: at the end of it, we were all going. Blah, blah, blah. I don't say <laughs> blah, blah, blah. This was the entire conversation at the end of the movie, from the time we got out of the theater to the car to the restaurant we had lunch at. Was <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I don't say blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and they gave away the best gag in the previews. It's never a good sign. <laughs> All right. All right. Saying, sir? As a brief plot summary... Uh, the movie takes place years after the original. We open with the two main characters, whose names I don't remember, because why would I? Uh, Johnny and Mavis. Oh, God. Andy Samberg. I knew there was something off about this. Anyway. The two characters we met in the first one, Johnny and Mavis, are getting married. They get married. We get a brief, kind of fast-forward, not quite montage but glimpses ahead as she gets pregnant, she has a kid, and they're not sure if it's a human or a monster. And it's actually during this montage thing that we get the famous blah, blah, blah joke. Uh, they they say the kid's first words, and it's blah, blah, blah. And Count Dracula, voiced by Adam Sandler, doing a terrible Gru impression, goes, I don't say blah, blah, blah. And the kid, who is, you know, one or so, likes saying blah, blah, blah. And mocking of vampires ensues. Uh, we fast forward to approaching the kid's fifth birthday, because apparently if his vampire fangs have not descended from his skull cavity by the fifth birthday, it's never going to happen. And if he, they decide that if he's not a monster, if he's just a human like Johnny, they really should probably not have him living in a hotel 
from predominantly populated by flesh-eating monsters of the zombie, werewolf, Frankenstein variety. And Adam Sandler's character of Vlad doesn't want his grandson to go. He wants his grandkid and his daughter to stay around with him because he's a dad. So he sends Mavis and Johnny to California. I don't know what they did to deserve that penalty, but they go to California (laughs) to visit Johnny's parents to scope out whether or not they want to move there. In the interim, Vlad tries to get the kid, Dennis, to become a vampire. Uh, Theoretical hilarity ensues. It doesn't work. We get the pretty typical mom finds out that Grandpa was screwing around with the kids, so she gets pissed. They invite Vlad's father, uh, who is voiced by Mel Brooks, God bless him, who is old world vampire monsters eat humans, they're our food source, uh, winds up. Yeah, he again, he gets his big change of heart. The kid turns out to be a vampire anyway, so all learning is essentially rendered moot. And we all continue to live happily ever after in the hotel. Did I miss anything? Um, not really. I mean, the, the, there's only one villain in this thing, and he doesn't show up until the last quarter of the movie. Um, and it's uh, the grandfather's sidekick. And, you know, the grandfather starts off sort of opposed to this whole thing. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like, and, and it's funny because this was one of the themes of the movie and they, they outright say it during one of the California sequences is how do ham- families handle mixed marriages. Now in this one, we're doing silly, you know, we're doing monsters and humans, but in, 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 in any, in, in many ways, the way that it was handled was how a lot of movies handle mixed marriages between whites and blacks and so on. And, you know, and there's always the elder, uh, you know, person from the, from the family who has long time hatred, long time resentment of the opposing race, and is uh, hard to coerce into accepting, you know, the now, the present, where you know two people from from different races can be with one another. Um, and then there's one another person who just outright won't accept it at all. Now, in this case, it was a vampire bat. But, I mean, a vampire bat or an old black person or an old white person, I mean, it's the same. It's a song as old as time. And that's one of the things I really liked about this. Uh, the sequence that I thought was the funniest was the bit at the camp. And I don't know if it was the jumping off the tree and the catching them by the neck with a crash pad underneath and they go insurance or something else. But it was one of the, it was definitely one of those moments where it was like when we saw a train wreck, and John Cena calls. You? I was on a double date. I was on a double date. Leave me alone. Um, okay. So we saw a train wreck, and John Cena turns around to another movie patron who happens to be a comedian and referred to him as Coco Beware, and I'm the only one in the theater like outright guffawing, just <laughs> cracking, you know, like. Laughing out loud for a few minutes, and nobody else, in the, like to the point where my wife and our two friends who were with us was just kind of like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Um, but there's a sequence in the camp where someone did something or said something really funny to me, and again, I was the only one laughing. But that, but I'll tell you um, that the the theme of that whole camp sequence about 
how how different things are now for kids than they were a generation ago in the sense that everything is made safe and protected. And this is an ongoing thing throughout the movie. You know, one of the opening lines is Mavis made me uh, baby proof the whole house, the whole hotel. And so the the gag is they're putting little buttons on anything sharp, including witches' noses. Uh, but they go to this camp, and you know, and there's this huge rickety tower. And it was like, this is where I learned to fly. We just dropped you, and you know, and you either flew or you didn't, you know. And then they shift over, like, well, we can't do that anymore. And it's kids jumping out of a very short tree onto with a safety harness on into a guy holding a butterfly net. With a very cushy pad below them. It's just the height of... It it might have been the team micing thing that made me laugh really hard. Um, It's a good way to build their confidence. (laughs) There's the one kid who can't even take it off the tee. Just, what the... (laughs) And Black ends up yelling at him. It's like, it's right there. So that must have been it, because I'm still laughing at it. I just... it, it, It was definitely... I mean, aside from this whole thing about, you know, wanting to push this kid uh, to be a vampire because he doesn't want to be alone, uh, the the grandfather. Um, There was also this subplot about how we've, uh, you know, how much we baby children. And, you know, uh, not infanticide, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of an offshoot of infancy. Infantilization? Yeah, that's the one. How we infantilize children, um, which is a, which is actually a common enough theme in other Adam Sandler movies too. This is not the first time it's been brought up. No, Adam Sandler desperately wishes to live back in the '80s when he was still relevant. <laughs> or the '50s, or the '60s, or the '70s. Um, you know, we are, so it's definitely a, a different time. But uh, I don't. I mean, what did you, what did you think of that? I mean, did you feel like it fit in the movie, or did you think it was too preachy, too too ham handed? What, what was your yeah. impression? Being point? too ham handed in a movie like this takes a lot of ham, and I don't think anyone brought that much work <laughs> to this particular production. Mm-hmm. I wound I, up I thought it, two things. I thought it fit uh, in the sequences it was used. <laughs> well, again, there's two things. One. It serves to kind of further distance, you know, Vlad and the old kind of guard who are trying to hold on to their ways a bit and uh, kind of forces them into choosing, you know, okay, you can either be old and bitter and resentful of how things are, or you can kind of adapt. I also wound up kind of sympathizing with Vlad a bit, and I shouldn't have to explain this to you because they're vampires. They're supposed to kill people. It's the Frankenstein monster. You don't take a selfie with him. He tears you limb from limb and throws you in a lake. <laughs> you know, I mean, again, my and again, this speaks to my whole, you know, pussification of monsters and villains and whatnot, which is a whole other topic that I've talked about at length in the past. But suffice to say, I agreed a, a little bit with Vlad's kind of frustration at, really, you can't even catch your own mouse. You can't, you know, Frankenstein won't scare people in the park anymore because they, he's not done anything scary. The uh, the werewolf who can't even growl, he actually says growl. Well, hang on, because there was another side to that. Steve Buscemi's line, he's the one that plays the werewolf, he says, we're past this now. 
we, you know, what, why do I have to go out and eat humans? We have, and I think he says, like, honey nut Cheerios is some crazy thing. Um, he, he wants to, he, the lad tries to have him kill and eat a deer, and he says, why do I got to kill my own food? All right, we have Pop-Tarts. Yeah, yeah we have Pop-Tarts now. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a funny gag line, but I think it was also a very meaningful line. Of you know of that old old versus new like why do we have to keep doing these things we've evolved past this and then he said, and then I think he even says look I'm not going to change who I am so that your kid can be a vampire I don't care enough I gotta be me you know and Vlad's almost started bullying everybody into being something they're no longer comfortable being they've all forgotten past this and again yeah like, I mean, you don't, the Wolfman so, is now a much henpecked father of you know three hundred or so. <laughs> um, but I mean, even if you sort of take out the monster, that that sort of philosophy of of you know, uh, of don't push me into being something that I've long ago given up uh, when I'm happier in this new place. You know, and this idea of somebody bullying other people uh, so that he gets his way—it's almost weird that you would find it in an animated Adam Sandler flick for children. But I thought it's one of the things that added a bit of meat to this thing. And that's why I said this wasn't just one psych gag after another, which is what I was afraid it was going to be. I actually thought this was an improvement over the second one, over the first one, which, interestingly enough, this got, I want to say, a 43 or a 53% rotten on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, but it was like an 83% from the uh, audience. I'll look it up real quick. But, like, yeah, the critics were like, this is shit. (laughs) <laughs> the critic, the critic's view of it was this was shit, and we haven't gotten any, you know, we haven't evolved past the first one. But the audience was like, yeah, this was great. We all had a great time, which goes to our opening discussion of the of the difference between, uh, you know, uh, the the difference between um, the critics and the, the intended movie audience. Well, yeah, again, you have to look at these things very differently. I mean. Look, I'm with you as far as kids' movies, if I see them. Don't be just, you know, insipid. Don't be deeply, deeply stupid. And we're probably going to be... I won't say okay, but my complaints will generally be minimal. So, to be clear, on the tomato meter, it was 53% rotten, um an average of 5.2 out of 10. Uh, the audience score, however, was 78%. So there, I think, is the story on Hotel Pennsylvania 2. I'd agree with that. And I haven't seen the first one, so I can't compare and contrast. Um, I mean, the, the, I thought the first one was a, was a bit more ham-handed. I mean, you have the daughter who... Um, you have the daughter who uh, wants more, you know, who falls in love with a human. You have the human who uh, who falls in love with her too, and you know it's 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 a forbidden romance kind of a story. But a lot of it is, well, he's a human, you know, I'm a, you're a monster. This can't happen, and it's that literally the whole beat through the movie. That sounds about right. Whereas I feel like that, where I feel like this one, there was a little bit more going on in the movie than just that. Uh, another sequence, which I thought was interesting, the way they handled it, especially in terms of uh, mixed marriages, and they played it funny, but 
uh, and actually I want to talk about this for a minute because I, because I felt like because this was a kids movie and you, and because kids would prefer to spend more time with Vlad and Vlad's pack <laughs> as such, and you know, watching Blobby <laughs> crash into trees and shit is Blobby. All right. Um, you can't kill the blob. They didn't even beat it in the first movie. They wound up launching it into outer space, but they couldn't actually defeat it. You can't beat the blob. That's right. Um, but I wish they had spent more time in California with Mavis and Johnny, uh, because it's a very rushed sequence, and it kind of ends with the big message there. Um, so they go, they go into Johnny's home, and the mother is sort of overcompensating for uh, the fact that he's brought this vampire at home. So, you know, she's like, I've set up your room, gag number one. Um, and, you know, his bed is, is the same as it ever was, and she has this other bed set up with a, with a lot of, like, Halloween decorations and shit. And it's like, okay, well, since you're a mixed couple, we've brought over other mixed couples so that you would feel more welcomed. I mean, you know, again, intentions in the right place, but this is sort of that, you know, overcompensating Caucasian thing. That happens, and in walks a woman with her monster husband. Parents are the waspiest of wasps, right? Um, So so in walks uh, Michael Bisping injured. UFC '93 against Robert Whitaker scrapped. Anyway, um, that sucks. Looking forward to that one. Robert Whitaker was probably going to knock him out. Anyway, probably. Um, Anyway. Uh, And then the next couple that walks in, you have this guy who you know, very long hair and a beard. And uh, the mom says, and so-and-so is married to a werewolf. <laughs> and the guy goes, I'm not a werewolf. And there's like a beat where we're just sort of uncomfortably looking at one another. And they go, well, oh, feel free well. to stay for cupcakes. Right. And they just turn around and walk out in a huff. And then you have Mavis who's sort of mortified, like none of this was necessary. But um, and then that's kind of it. They have one more exchange of dialogue on the roof. And but that immediately goes into Vlad disobeying all of her various uh orders, you know, and putting the kid in danger. Uh they find the YouTube video of the kid being thrown off the tower and rescued at the last second. Right. So it's over and they're and they're back to Transylvania. And I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of Mavis realizing that, you know, to be a fish out of water, a monster in a, in a human world um, is not as easy and as wonderful as she thought it was because I don't ever think she got that, got to that point. It was like, it was aborted too, it was aborted way too quickly. It was kind of like, they, they, she's, because up to that point, she was fine with it. She was, you know, she had successfully impressed people on the, on the bike and in the, um, you know, in the skate park, she uh, was enjoying Slurpees at the 7-Eleven, and then they go to the house, and she's a little uncomfortable, and then it's over. And I felt like that if there was a weak part of the movie, that was kind of it. And it was only weak because they didn't take it far, far enough. They just stopped it, and they stopped it because of this other stuff that was happening, not because she had any kind of change in character. Yeah, I feel like this was just, in the movie formula that you plug in, okay, we need a couple of minutes of the other guys here to remind the world that they exist, but we're not going to do anything of real meaning here. Mm -hmm. And it's, I'm with you as far as it being a missed opportunity. I mean, 
the whole bit about, you know, the kid clearly doesn't want to leave the hotel and they just don't touch enough on, I feel, how much of a transition that is, how maybe out of place everyone would be in that. It, with If that were to happen, I mean, you've got, we all just kind of assume that Johnny would be okay with it, even though he, you know, clearly has no intention of being back. He doesn't like being in the human world. Uh, the kid doesn't fit in with the other kids. Uh, for Not just because he was raised around monsters, but because he's, you know, a couple of years younger than all of them, consequently likes different things, and it's just, you know, nothing quite meshes there, and it's just really kind of glossed over as far as establishing, you know, character motivation or saying anything approaching relevant about the nature of, you know, being uprooted and having to restart yourself. Right. I almost wish they had gone through with the move. Yeah. Uh, and his fangs had come out while, you know, his fangs had come out while they were there. I would have liked, you know, I, I if, if I could have rewritten this movie, I would have moved the birthday party maybe to the middle. Um, I, I would have had Mavis just fall in love with the human world, you know, too quickly, almost impulsively. Say, that's it, you know, have the sequence at the camp where he endangers the kid. Which is funny, by the way. You know, like, you know he's Trial and endangerment is always funny. You know, that, that whole exchange between him and the other monsters as the kid's falling, you know, he's going to fall to his death. He'll be fine. He'll be. He's, he's starting to scream. I did that my first time, too. He's getting really close to the ground. Yeah, I mean, don't worry. Any minute now. You know, this tower's not that tall. Yeah, he's not going to fly this time. <laughs> and then he has to race down and go get him. Um, but I would have, at the conclusion of that sequence, I would have had Navis come and get the kid and have, you know, and and let let us be alone with Vlad for a sequence or two. Um, Heck, maybe that's know, how he had, reconnects with his dad. Instead of, you know, the right. somewhat forced bit about Mavis inviting him to the birthday party, Vlad's lonely, so he goes to reconnect with his old man. Right. You know, and have him have them go there and have the kid, you know, not connect with, uh, you know, not connect with any of the kids there and feel lonely and then get bullied and in the process of being bullied, his fangs come out and it's like, well, now we have to go. You know, we can't we can't stay here. We have to go back. Um, I don't know if that would have been a more effective way of doing it, but I would have I would have liked to have seen. I think a little bit more interaction in the human world and how that affects the monsters, because you always get it this one way. You you only get how the monsters treat the humans and how they accept the humans. You don't, or not accept the humans as such. You don't get it really from the other side. You know, you've got the one sequence. And as we said before, it was a little short. No, it was, I mean, almost criminally short. I would have been so much happier if she kind of experiences both the highs and lows of being, a part of human society. I mean, if you give that whole thing another day, she could spend a whole day bored around the house with nothing to do at night and just, yeah, again, just as ideas to kind of, you know, flesh it out, give things a little more perspective. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's just rushed through for the sake of, we got to move to the stereotypical separation of daughter from father in this case, because in all the movies like this, this always happens. Everyone knows it's coming. Well, that's the thing. They spent a long time 
and, and like I said, there, there was enough other stuff that I can forgive them for this. And again, I have to go back to who's your audience here. Is your audience, you know, an almost 40-year-old and, you know, early 30-year-old, late 20s, early 30-year-old man? No, your audience is... Almost old. 30. Okay. Um, so, you know, so while we would prefer to see all this other stuff, you know, dealing with people and their feelings and all that, you know, whatever... Um, the kids, I'm sure, were just as happy with the sight gag of Blobby hitting trees. <laughs> they spend a lot of time on that. So the uh, they t- spend entirely too much time smacking a giant gelatinous blob with tree branches. <laughs> the whole setup for that took forever. You know, um, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of stuff happening in the car. There was, a, the, I mean, one of the—I wouldn't even call it a subplot, but a, but a running gag in the thing is that Vlad can't use his phone. And in That's about as amusing as the that. running gag of the invisible man not having a girlfriend. Yeah, well, I swear to God, I felt like they just needed to give David Spade something to do. They, <laughs> and the sad thing is, they didn't. No one would miss David Spade. No. I, I honestly, I know he's playing the invisible man, so what I'm about to say is sort of punny. But, I mean, I... I he didn't... You didn't see him in the movie, nothing. He didn't do any of consequence, and I would not have missed him if he wasn't there. I'm I'm completely with you there. I feel the same thing can be said for like the mummy. Didn't really contribute a whole lot. It was a sight gag, you know. He does the he does he does the spell. I mean, you, you needed some of the characters in there for Vlad to bully. Um, I'm just saying, like, if you reduce this to Vlad, uh, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman, you've got much more time to you know you can still have a bunch of the gags. And you can even still have Blobby along for the ride on the outside of the car, even though in this case there's room for him. We just, no one wants to sit next to him. Mm-hmm. And you can just have, you know, a bit more deeper, a bit more meaningful interaction between a smaller cast of characters, as opposed to right. jamming every one of Sandler's buddies in there for a paycheck. <laughs> yeah, there was a, I, there, there were, I, I can't say, like I said, there, I didn't, I, I enjoyed the movie. There weren't. There really wasn't anything I didn't enjoy. But I could tell you, they were parts of the middle. I was like, "Can we get on with this already?" It was a lot. In that sense, it was a lot like Inside Out, where I had a similar complaint, where I just felt like the middle of the movie. I was, you know, it was the same thing over and over and over again. I was like, "Jesus, move this on already. Show me something new." Uh, but again, I watched my kids. I listened to the other kids around me, and they, you know, and you know, hitting Blobby with a tree. You know, the, all the bits in the camp. Actually, the, the bit in the camp was my favorite part. And that, I thought, felt, you know, moved quickly enough. But it was a lot of the same joke repeated. Uh, you know, it's the uh, their singing campfire songs and their sissy songs as compared to what Vlad would sing. You know, you don't catch my... Those are my sissy songs you. by any stretch of the imagination. Let's be clear there. Um, and then, of course, there was, you know, learning how to fly, and so, and, and then they set the place on fire. So, <laughs> um, it was, uh, and so while I felt like the sequence was funny all the way through, it was funny, but it was the same joke three separate times. Yeah. Which is about the number of times you can tolerate the same joke being told. So they at least didn't drag it out any further, which I was worried um, they would have. Mel Brooks's sole contribution, other than just being funny, and you know, he, he, he Mel Brooks does one thing very, very well, and that is an old Jewish man's voice, uh, which is exactly what he did here. 
and that's fine. But I thought his contribution to to the message and the plot of the movie was he animates the, he animates Keiki, <laughs> who is like an offshoot of uh, Cookie Monster across. The- I don't know. He's another insipid children's character that appears during the day to entertain preschoolers while their mothers wonder what happened with their lives and where they all went wrong. So he anim- so he uh, casts a spell on Keiki, and Keiki becomes a demon. And the idea is to scare the shit out of the kid so that he'll kill. Not, you know, things will come out. Um, and of course, this is what convinces Vlad that uh, it's just not worth it, and he tells him to stop. And it was again a lot of this was just rushed through. It was kind of like if you're going to do this sequence with with the vampires all fighting the evil the evil vampire bats then I don't know if you need that whole sequence of events with Grandpa animating Keiki and scaring the shit out of the kid. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, that's the thing. It's like there was so much in the middle. By the time they got to the end, it felt a bit overstuffed. Uh, it felt a bit overstuffed, and it felt like stuffed in the wrong ways. I mean, you could have had such a better time with the comedy of the grandfather who is very much I don't like you know humans at all you could have had more jokes about that than a two minute bit with Frankenstein trying to keep him away from humans Mm. and crazy demon vampire humanoid bat on the outside is you know panting in bloodlust and voiced by Rob Riggle who needs to be struck by a bus (laughs) I didn't realize that was Rob Riggle I haven't seen him since he was off since he was on the Daily Show. Well, that's about his character. Um, that's it. I thought the kid was fine. Whoever played the kid uh, thought, you know, did a fine job of acting like a small child. I enjoyed the final fight sequence, um, you know, in as far as uh, you know, in a, a cartoon victorious fight sequence goes. A uh, little too choppy at times. But I mean, obviously, you could, you know, you knew what was happening. It was the vampires were easily, you know, it was John Cena versus the entire WWE roster. You know, everyone easily beaten, no hands down, no problem. Yeah, that's about the size of it. Um, the decision to give him fangs because it, it's a mystery right up until the end that they're going to do that or not, and they really could have gone either way. But uh, what did you think of that? Were you surprised or were you uh, disappointed? Did you think that was the appropriate position? I mean, the position they put the characters in, it's the only real way it could have been done. That being said, again, I, I have jokingly said it during my brief synopsis, but the fact that the kid is actually a vampire seems to render all personal growth and learning from the previous 80 minutes absolutely moot. Yeah. I think it would have been a lot more interesting for him not to be a vampire, but for him to still want to be there, you know, because that's where he's grown up. That's where his friends and family are. And it doesn't matter if he's a monster or not. He wants to be there and that's his home. Right. Like if he was able to take out Rob Riggle as a human, you know, and sort of prove to his mother, this isn't too dangerous for me. This is my home. Yeah, I would again. I think that would have worked as well, maybe better. But this way, we got the triumphant, you know, vampire group all fighting other bad, and we got that whole, you know, uh, I I silliness is what it is. But 
Okay. It's not as stupid as calling it silliness implies. So. All right. I uh, I that's pretty much it um, as far as my thoughts on the thing. I enjoyed it. Like I said, my kids enjoyed it. My wife enjoyed it. We all enjoyed saying um, blah blah. <laughs> blah blah blah. I don't say blah blah blah. Um, I don't so, say uh, blah blah blah. Who taught him to say, say that? I don't say blah blah blah. Um, but you know, with, with that being said, uh, that's about all I have to say on this movie. Do you have? Is there anything else that you want to talk about? You know, Adam Sandler should stick to voice work where other people can animate his features instead of him having to actually do it himself. It comes across a lot better. I would uh, venture to say that Adam Sandler's animated features are better than his live-action features. Uh, That's probably true. I'm wondering, so I I think this this ended up being successful. Um, Oh, yeah. Uh, It made back, again, had an $80 million budget, which is actually less than the first one. Uh, it made that back opening weekend. It's going to be successful. Okay, according to Wikipedia, the budget was eighty million. The box office was eighty-three million. And I so, mean, I've been yeah. I've, I've been then, to McDonald's a couple of, a couple of times in the last week, and every single time I've gotten a happy meal from my kids, it had one of the Total Transylvania toys in it. So yeah, I would say this movie's going to be just fine. Yeah, I mean, again, you, a movie has to, for those of you who don't know, a movie must double its budget to be financially successful because a studio recoups 55% of the gross ticket sales to make back its budget. So, again, it, when you do the math, you have to double your budget to really be financially successful. Now, if you make less than your budget, you're a huge bomb. If you make somewhere in the middle, you're probably a loss, but it's not catastrophic. And if you more than, again, anything over double your budget is pure gravy, and then, you know, you triple it, we're into genuine blockbuster territory. Okay. Um, So I just want to read the critical reaction of this thing. Uh, Talked about Rotten Tomatoes already. On Metacritic, it was 44 out of 100 based on 20 critics indicating mixed or average reviews. CinemaScore polls, audience gave the film an average of A- minus on an A-plus to F scale. And therein, again, tells the tale. Uh, possible sequel, Michelle Madaka, the film's producer, said before the film's release, the studio was talking about number three and moving forward and taking the franchise to the next level, but she and director Tartakovsky won't return since they were working on Can You Imagine? So, eh, You know, if they can keep making money with it, go for it. How would you compare this to the other animated features we saw earlier this year? I mean, I don't think eh, there's any the comparison. You think so? You think it was worse than Minions? Yes. See, I thought it was better than Minions. I mean, it doesn't even compare to Inside Out. Most animated features won't. But I didn't think it was... I didn't Most live-action features won't. <laughs> I didn't think it was worse than uh, worse than Minions, though. I thought... Well, I, I, thought it, I wouldn't call it, like, you know, levels below or anything, but I'd say Minions was better. Really? You were pretty hard on Minions. What's your, what, I was. What, Honestly, I laughed harder at Minions, and that's my only metric here. Okay, fair enough. That, well, that, no, that is an accurate, uh, not accurate, but that, that, that is a perfectly uh, good way of, of, uh, of ranking them. I laughed more at this one, therefore it's better. 
Plus, we're talking about a well, company. I mean, again, you've got about the same level of commitment put into the plot, about the same level of character development all the way through. And I again, as far as I can't call out the script for either one being worse, I can't call out the production values of the voice acting being appreciably worse in one or the other. So I have to go with which one amused me the most. And I was more amused by Minions. All right. Uh, what do we have next on the agenda, sir? Well, actually, well, hang on. I'm, you're supposed to be hosting this thing. Oh, damn it. All right, Mark, what's next on the agenda? All right. Well, like I said, I'm I'm fresh out of things to say. Uh, I already kind of gave my, my overall summary. Um, if you've got kids or you're you're one of the Madam Sandler fans, go see it. It was fun. Yeah, I'd agree. It's I mean again, it's a kids movie. Kids will be entertained by it. Adults won't be insulted by what's going on, so that's a win. Um now as far as the schedule goes, uh next week we are off. There's nothing coming out this weekend. Are um, we sure we don't want to consider adding the Martian to that? It's been getting a lot of buzz. I don't know. Let me consult with my uh with my activities planner. Is there any AKA time he just... needs permission from the wife? Well, hang on. Um, Friday night, I'm not doing anything. Uh, Friday night, I'm not really doing anything. Uh, so I could go see it after work on Friday if you don't care if I come home. Saturday uh, is our wedding anniversary, and there's no place I'd rather be than with you. Good answer. <laughs> That's and, the only uh, answer you can give in that circumstance. <laughs> and Sunday. Uh, not to imply well, Mark's not sincere about that. No, I would. I, I actually, he's extremely sincere about it because he did tell me earlier tonight that to celebrate our anniversary, I get to order takeout from wherever I want while we watch Brock Lesnar. So I don't think we're watching Brock Lesnar now. I'm realizing that that's the same night as UFC 192. You'd rather watch Brock Lesnar? I guess guess what's the review I'm not watching. Mark, the main event is Daniel Cormier and Alexander Gustafson. You're better off with Lesnar. Fair enough. Well, the white, well okay, so I think you should allow me to go see The Martian on Friday so that I can review it on the 7th. She's thinking about it, folks. Wait, wait, no, you have to give an answer. The people are waiting. You are public away. No, because if I say what I'm really thinking, I'm going to come across as the biggest bitch ever. Oh, please do. <laughs> you work all weekend, which means I get stuck with two kids by myself for an entire weekend. It'd be nice to have a little assistance. What if I came home and then saw, like, a late showing of that movie? When I go to bed? Fine. Like, well, after the kids, at the very least, after the kids go to bed. Fine. Okay. That means you have to go to a late movie. I have to go to a late movie. I, I understand. All right. I will put it on the schedule. We will be reviewing okay. the Marsh in a week from tonight. Oh, I want to do my Matt Damon bit. Go ahead. Do your Matt Damon bit while I put this on the calendar. Uh, it's, I really don't. I want to, but I feel like I'm going to offend someone. No, no. Now I want to hear this. Uh, it, it, I can't remember. This started around the house. One of my, my brothers and I, we do stupid stuff like this all the time, and Someone brought up Matt Damon 
uh, in his qualities as an actor, and somebody else decided to put on the mentally handicapped voice and go, uh, Matt Damon, he's in the movie. And I imagine that's what Matt Damon does on screen. He shows yeah, up to work, and he's Matt Damon. Yeah, I totally thought you were going to go with uh, uh, World Police. No, never seen it. Matt Damon. It's very, yeah, very much in the line of Matt Damon is retarded. Um, okay, so with that being said, a week from tonight, the Martian review. Uh, a week, the week after that, we'll be reviewing Pan, and uh, the week after that, I will be taking a, taking a break. Um, but Robert and uh, Jason Teasley uh, from, from your uh, co-host of uh, From the Cheap Seats here on the Rattler Broadcasting Network. We'll be reviewing Crimson Peak, and then Robert Coop, Robert, sorry, Robert Winfrey and I, on the 28th, uh, will be doing a split seven-inch. I will be reviewing Gem and the Holograms, while he reviews <laughs> Paranormal Activity Five: The Ghost Dimension. Even Money says I can review them both, and I only have to see one. <laughs> okay, Gavin. Oh, wait, Gem and the Holograms? Well, let's see. It's going to be one of those quasi-inspirational stories about a singer who gets it, who hits it big, but the evil record company wants something from her. She alienates her friends. She gets her friends back and learns a life lesson about the importance of people over property. How close am I? We'll see on October 28th. I just Meanwhile, saved everyone out there all the time and effort it would have taken to go see the movie. You know what? If you've got a if you've got an impressionable little girl, you should take her to go see Gem and the Holograms. Despite that uh, pre-review uh, on Thursdays over the next couple of weeks, uh, tomorrow night, Sean Palmer and I will finish up our review of the Highlander series on Long Road to Ruin. A week after that, Robert Cooper and I will review the new Clutch. Um, following week, Robert uh, Sean Palmer and I review Jaws one and two. Uh, on good October twenty second, on October twenty second, Robert Cooper and I will be reviewing Frost Sunblot, The Wanderer, unless there's a new Frost Sunblot. Um, and there might be. You never know. Then there might be. Um, and then on the 29th, uh, you know, day or so before Halloween, we'll be clo- we'll be finishing up our review of the Jaws movies with Jaws three and four on Long Road to Ruin. So. That's that's the schedule for the month of October. Yeah, I'm still shocked you haven't seen Jaws yet. That's that's just one of those movies. I'm, I mean, it's like The Godfather. You know, it's one of those things that just everybody sees. It took me such a long time to see The Godfather. I got to be honest with you. Ah, uh, doesn't matter with you. And I've only seen the first two. Don't. You don't need to see three. It's. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard it's terrible. You know, it it suffers mostly from comparison because one and two are probably two of the three best movies ever made. Mm-hmm. And three compares unfavorably to those. Taken independent of those on its own, it's not great, but it's not bad. It's It's got issues, but... Unless you want to do the Long Road to Ruin, the Godfather trilogy, you don't have to see it. 
We'll probably get to it eventually. I, I, I feel like we have to at some point, but not this year. This year we have booked up the schedule through the uh, the end of the year. So that, my friend, is that. I'm just pointing. Again, I don't think it's not necessary to the story. It's not necessary under pretty much any context. It's a classic case of a studio looking at a property and going. Hey, we can make more money off of this, even though everyone involved when, with it thinks it's a bad idea. Well, not, not for nothing, but that seems to be the story of the Highlander sequels. <laughs> you had to watch Highlander too. Oh, and um, on October twentieth, Robert Winfrey's having a birthday. Yay me! <laughs> All right, what do you got going on in the in the world, sir? Ah, well, apart from the reviews I'm doing with you, you can find me every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time hosting the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show. It's a weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. So if you're a fan of that sport, stop by. Give us a a listen. That show takes live callers. So if you want to call in, I give out the information at the top of the show. Up this week, we will be reviewing UFC 192 because... No one else seems to realize that without John Jones, the light heavyweight division doesn't exist. Seriously, it's Jones, it's Cormier and Gustafson. Gustafson coming off of a violent TKO loss to Anthony Johnson. Daniel Cormier beat Anthony Johnson, but we all saw him get owned by John Jones. And then the featured bout, I don't think it's the co-main event, the featured bout is Ryan Bader and Rashad Evans. Yeah. By all accounts, Rashad Evans should beat that ass. But, you know, hey, I, hey. I have... Ryan Bader is ranked, I believe, number four. Yeah. The US, he, I remember this four. from the fact section I did. Ryan Bader, like, <laughs> like he's ranked really high. And if he beats Rashad Evans, he's probably going to be close to a title shot, depending on he what they do it. with both. Look. Look, if Brian Bader beats Rashad Evans, he gets the next title shot. I don't think there's any way around it. You don't think that the moment Bones is available, they they just throw the throw him back in the uh Okay, yeah. well again, accepting the return of John Jones. Because John Jones returns, beats Daniel Cormier again, reclaims his belt, and resumes beating the entire division again. Because he's John Jones. Hang on one second, I have to consult with uh with the madam. Melissa, what? 9.30, 10.45, or 9 o'clock? 9.30. Oh, we can see it in real 3D. Uh, I haven't seen a movie in 3D in forever. Mostly because I don't want I kind of just go based on the times and not necessarily, by, you know, unless I'm, unless I'm going with somebody who absolutely fucking hates you know, 3D. And my wife's not a huge fan, so I try to avoid 3D when I'm going with her. But I don't... And then I and then I, I have another friend who everything has to be in feel around. So, yeah, you know, I, it just depends. Hey, personally, it's cheap. I don't want to... I'm cheap. I don't want to spend the extra 250 on 3D. Oh, and everyone makes fun of me for being Jewish. Meanwhile, I spend money like it's coming out of the sky. Hey, I'm not Jewish, but uh, I sympathize with your frugal plight, sir. I am not frugal by any stretch of the imagination. At no, I hate spending money more than I hate just about anything. It's, it's again, my psychopathology. People who listen to this don't, 
I just, people listening to this have got to be just like, yeah, they do a fine job reviewing movies, but then they go into this fucking off, like, tangential shit. I don't understand it. All right. But apart from that, I, uh, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy should be back, not this week, but next week. I am putting down all of my ideas. I am getting a schedule sorted out because if I don't have a schedule, I flip-flop all over the place, and it's just better if I'm regimented. I've discovered that. Who'd have thought? <laughs> Someone with borderline Asperger's requires regimentation. Huh. <laughs> right. Anyway. For the, for the 9.30 showing at, uh, at the Brandon Regency. For those people who want to come out and hang out. I anticipate I will be mocking Donald Glover at the end of that movie. <laughs> I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you picked this. It was one of those ones where, like, like oh, had I thought to, had I thought to include this, I might, you know, I might have uh, pitched it to you, and I figured I, I didn't want to pitch any more movies to you lest you tell me, you know, you know, oh, blah, I hate this guy, yada, yada, yada. So I was like, oh, screw it. <laughs> I won't pitch any more movies. But um, <laughs> No, again, I'm not the biggest fan of Matt Damon or anyone. No one in that movie really jumps out at me, but I'm a general fan of Ridley Scott. He's, I mean, he's very hit or miss, but when he hits, he hits pretty hard. Uh, I've got a bit of a personal interest in, you know, realistic space travel, astronomy, things of that nature. So I'm I'm down. And the previews kind of sold it on me as well. And then all of the buzz and things I've been hearing about it from everyone who's had early review access has been very, very positive. So I figured, why not, if we didn't have anything else lined up? Yeah, no, that works. And now I've got my ticket, so we're all good. All right. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back next week to review Ridley Scott's The Martian, primarily starring Matt Damon. Uh, also starring Jeff Daniels, uh, Jessica Chastain, Donald Glover, that guy whose name I cannot pronounce. And, oh, there's one other one I should know, but I don't off the top of my head. So, the other guy with the face. You all know who I'm talking about. All right. With that, for Mark Radulich, I'm Robert Winfrey reminding everyone out there. Well, first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for listening. Again, I say this on some of my other shows, but time is the only truly finite resource we all have at our disposal, and you choose to give us of your time. And I do thank you for that. There's, uh, again, I can't thank you enough for that. So, on that note, for Mark Radulich, I'm Robert Winfrey, and I'm going to remind everyone out there that, as we say here every week, by and large, uh, please be well, be safe, and behave.